everybody. Welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. I am, as always, your chief recovering hypocrite on these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenin, and I am really excited uh, about today's guests with us um, uh, because today we're going to kind of hear a fascinating story of kind of an unusual church planning journey. And so um, the uh, the couple that I'm going to talk to is Tim and Patty Kimberly. And Tim is somebody that I knew of before I knew him. In fact, uh, right behind me, I'm not sure if you can see, I've got a, a, a Credo House mug sitting in the back. But uh, uh, Tim Kimberly is uh, formerly of the Credo House and Parchment of Pen fame. I'm not sure if you're doing any of that stuff anymore. But that's where I first uh, stumbled across Tim. And then as he began his journey to planting in his hometown in Collins, Iowa, I I, uh, got to know him personally, and it's been a a great experience. And so I'm just excited to have both Tim and Patty on today. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. It's good to be here. It's good to join you, brother. Oh, it's so fun to see. I get to see your face. No one knows this, but I always record these where I could see you on video. So um, doing, but everybody else has Zoom fatigue, so they don't get to see you. But <laughs> well, it's so, good to hear so, your voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell me, uh, tell everybody, uh, and because I know some of this, but I'd love to just have you talk a little bit about your story. Uh, first of all, how you guys met? Like, are you both from Collins, or how did you guys meet? Uh, tell uh, tell me how you got together as a couple and got married. And, and Tim, make sure uh, Patty does most of the talking here. Um, I was, man, so I had graduated from Bible college, was teaching Bible at a Christian school for middle school. And um, my sister, this was in South Carolina. My sister lived in Florida at the time where we grew up and had fallen in love for like the hundred millionth time (laughs) and she was just had just broken up with a boyfriend and was going to move to south carolina with me she was a teacher also so we were really excited to kind of have a season together and right before that she met this boy and i was very mad at her thought she was very dysfunctional and she needed to just keep her commitment and move to the south with me (laughs) or further north with me and um so i ended up going home that summer to meet him and he just was a great guy but i still was going to make her move to south carolina with me sure sure commitments um, are commitments that's right that's right so she moved for three weeks and just under the banner of this is just not god's will she said i need to go back and spend some more time with this guy and get to know him and he is one of the most godly men i've ever met and when I got to know him, I really couldn't argue her on that, but I was mad because of all of her former choices. <clears throat> so anyways, that ended up being Tim's best childhood best friend. And uh. so within three months, Tim had come back from Africa. He had spent a month in Africa. And when he got back, Kevin, who was my sister's boyfriend at that time, started putting a bug in his ear about he had met this girl he was going to marry and that she had a sister and that he needed to meet the sister. And um, within just, I'd say like a month or so later, we were, they kind of hooked us up and wanted us to meet over email back in the early 2000s. So we emailed for a little bit and um, they would, Mary and Kevin would conspire with each other and 
tell the other person what the other person between the two of us were saying to get <laughs> like yeah. for us to keep going they knew we needed the help <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah. so so breaking breaking not only uh commitments but confidences exactly. so this is just for this is dysfunctional glory, from the beginning for the glory of god <laughs> yeah. and but, patty because patty and i both were um we both came to Jesus. Uh, she was in high school and I was in college. We were both the first in our families to meet Jesus. And so, um, uh, and then I was in seminary. So my life was radically changed. I was going to be a computer programmer for the rest of my life. And then met Jesus. And then Kevin and I were accountability partners and we were just growing like a weed together. We were both from the same small farm town of 450 people. Now we're in college. We had met Jesus. We had uh, had our lives radically changed and I was going to seminary. And so that was kind of how I got to Africa and stuff was through a, a classmate there. And, um, but yeah, so, I mean, Kevin and I were just like meeting Jesus and trying to figure out like how now shall we live followers of him, you know, mm -hmm. and then, uh, and then, yeah, when he met Patty's sister and was like, man, you gotta, you gotta meet this girl. She is as weird about Jesus as you are. And uh, so I was, I was definitely all ears. So. That's a good compliment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just out of curiosity, where were you in Africa? I was in uh, Kampala, Uganda. I was in Uganda for one month in 1990. Oh, so wow. So 10 years before you, and I was in Kampala. So, wow. So, but that's not where I was the whole time, but we were in Kampala for a little bit. Okay. There, well, so I actually, no, I, it wasn't one month. I was there for three months. So wow. I was there for a whole summer. Yeah. yeah, you were That's there amazing. for a month. Yeah. yeah, and we we moved around too, but we were based out of there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, so you guys, so you start this virtual day now. So you're in South Carolina. Uh, uh, Patty, where are you living at that time? I, I was at okay. seminary in Dallas. Okay. Okay. It was really neat because I had just recently gotten my master's in um, curriculum development for Bible teaching. And so we just, Mary and Kevin were right. Like we had so much in common. I could understand like the classes he was taking. And so we just could talk for hours about that. And mm -hmm. like just our mind being blown as first generation believers that were just relatively new to the Lord. And then sitting in these classes where people are talking about Jesus in a way that we're just, we can't, we're on the edge of our seats with everything. We just, we're just blown away. Yeah. It brought to tears many times in classes. And so there's just so much in common that Mary and Kevin, they, they did a good job. We're, 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 yeah. we're pro hookups now because. Uh, so so I have to ask this question because this is always one of my favorite questions, but how did he propose to you, Patty? Mm. Well, <laughs> he attempted so we <laughs> we we officially started dating um january 3rd 2003 and and part of our so i was the first person patty ever dated but then i had had a really uh worldly you know high school and college and um and so i so we both, I was coming from the perspective of like, I think Jesus is going to call me to be a monk for the rest of my life <laughs> after like <laughs> right. how much I've screwed stuff up. And then Patty was coming to a, from a perspective that was, you know, also really hesitant based on, uh, you know, not wanting to meet guys like me. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so, uh, yeah, so good. Yeah. So, so anyways, yeah, no, my, my sister dated guys like him her whole life and my mom did. So I didn't have anything to do with them. So we were, came from like polar opposites. And, um, 
So we, we attempt, Tim attempted, because we, pretty fast, January 3rd, 2003, we, we were dating and it didn't take long to realize we're on the same trajectory of life. We've got the same passions, um, not to take emotion out of it, but it just really felt like, yeah, I could see the Lord doing this. And I remember like a month later having a conversation where we just were very logical in talking about it. And then, um, that kind of, I think the emotions caught up pretty fast then later. And then by April, Tim was ready to get engaged. And my wow. dad really <laughs> not messing around. <laughs> no, <laughs> my dad is not a believer. And of course he never heard me talk about anybody. And then he's heard, he met Tim one time and then the next time he met Tim and it was through Tim asking my dad, if he could marry me, which of course made my dad freak out. And because in the phone sure, call, sure. In the phone call, I was like, Hey, this is Tim Kimberly. And I'm, and he was like, who? And I was like, oh, this, is, this isn't going to go this well. It's not going to go well. Right. Right. I should just stop. Yep. So cut your losses. Uh, so he, my, needless to say, my dad was not a big fan of us getting married so quickly. Um, however, Mary and Kevin were planning to get married that summer, and we kind of were thinking about doing the same thing. And we even thought, hey, what about a double wedding? That would be kind of cool. And um, but really, it was out of respect for my dad not being a believer. I had read a book in. Um, in one of my classes when I was in school about a couple who kind of their story of um, honoring the parents request when they wanted to get married and both of them said, okay, we'll do, we'll honor our parents and we'll, they don't think this is right. So let's just kind of listen to what they say. And that really made a big impact on me because specifically my dad didn't know the Lord. And I never wanted to go into a marriage that would cause any friction between him coming to know the Lord. So my dad pretty much said we were crazy, that we could get married, but we thought probably we, he thought probably we should wait. So we waited and we honored him for about six months and spent some more time together. And he then just totally gave the blessing. So we got married a year later. Exactly. Yeah. And I proposed so, on a, we were on a uh, fishing trip in Canada with my parents and some other uh, people from, from the church that my parents went to at the time. And so, uh, so I woke up early one morning and Patty and I got on this fishing boat and went for about an hour to this place and I cooked her breakfast and proposed. So That's awesome. And, and it's, it's hard to say no when, you know, the, the, he just cooked your breakfast like Jesus did on the beach. Isn't it amazing how often it seemed like Jesus was just cooking for guys? Like, I just started to think about that as reflected through the Gospels. He just liked to make meals, I, I suppose. So, so that's awesome. So then you guys end up getting married. And how do you end up now uh, in Oklahoma, of all places? So you, you, you get married and then somehow transition to Oklahoma. Yeah, so I'll, I'll share it fast because, I mean, as all of our stories can be belabored, and this was uh, over the course of many years, but um, we, from Oklahoma, when I was in, in seminary in Dallas, I met a guy who was going to the Pacific Northwest to plant a church, and so he was going to plant a church in Portland, Oregon, and so um, because I was a computer programmer, but then also I had been working as a designer, and I was the designer of Dallas Seminary's online education program and stuff like that. Uh, initially, 
that um, he's like, oh, you're a programmer and designer, uh, like this, there's a big art community in Portland, Oregon, and then there's a big computer, like Intel has five campuses there and stuff. And so, um, so we ended up moving from Dallas to Portland and, uh, and we're part of a church plant there in 2007, I think was when we first moved out there. And then, um, so when we went to Portland, I was a part of a church in Dallas, <laughs> Try not to make the connections to, but uh, Chuck Swindoll was really uh, a big uh, impact on me. Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, Jay Vernon McGee were all guys I listened to uh, in seminary or before I went to seminary and all of them went to Dallas seminary. So that was kind of why I was like, oh, they're all totally different. They all seem to love Jesus, love the word of God. Uh, maybe it'd be a good fit for me too, or whatever. So, um, but one of the guys that I got close to there when we were moving to Portland, he moved to Oklahoma City, and so Michael Patton is his his name, and so he was on staff at Swindoll's Church as their like pastor of adult education, basically. And so, um, so through my computer background, I got to know Michael well because of some stuff that they were doing on a website called Bible.org at the time. And so, um, so we went to Portland, and that was a really uh, uh, beautiful time. And uh, and a, uh, Patty disagrees with me, but I also ended up my fa my first pastoral experience being fired after seminary. So, um, That's debatable. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but. Um, so as I knew that we were going to have to leave Portland, which we had fallen in love with, uh, one option was to come back here to Iowa where I grew up and be a part of a church here. I'd always had a heart for here. Um, but then uh, also Michael had started the Credo House that you spoke about, and um, it was very, very early, and uh, and he invited me to basically come and be the director of that. and um, And so... Um, so we end up moving there um, to to be a part of the Credo House, and it it only been open for a very very short time, and so and our agreement was to go there for a year, and we would just help prolong that you know get this thing one year further down the road, and uh, as a lot of things go, you know we didn't leave for over ten years. So. Wow. And so, at what point do you start thinking um, about? coming home. So the, the, one of the most remarkable things uh, I think in, in your story is that people, uh, there's kind of this cliche that there is this, um, bleeding from small towns to cities, um, and from small little, you know, rural farming communities to hipster places like Portland and maybe in Oklahoma city. Um, but that, that flow never goes the other direction. And here you guys are too, highly intelligent, highly educated um, people who could make it in any city, who could be, both of you could be on staff at, at mega churches across the country, and you choose instead to go back to uh, the 450-person town <laughs> that you grew up in. How, do, how does that happen? Well, I mean, well, the, the answer is Jesus. It really is. Um, I mean, it could happen. There could be a lot of reasons why it would happen. Um, but I think the only way that it would happen where it would have any remote, like health to it would be ha capturing a vision from him that, um, life more about where he is and you being with him there 
than it is about being somewhere that you think is giving you the acclaim or the the whatever that uh, that you are searching for apart from him, you know. And so, so we actually ended up going from the Credo House to being on staff at uh, what could be termed as a mega church, um, a, a church of over several thousand people. And um, and it doesn't mean I think for us to realize like being on staff at a mega church or planting a church of four in a town of four hundred people, if either of those people are getting their um, identity, their um, status, if any of those people are getting their status from things like that over walking with Jesus wherever he calls you, then, um, you know, it's going to be a dead end for all of us. It doesn't fill our souls. It doesn't satisfy us, you know. And so, so it was less, I think, being in a place. Uh, I think what the Lord did was he placed us in a healthy church that made that clear. So it just happened to be a mega church, but it was a healthy church that said, we want to go wherever Jesus calls us to go. And there would be no greater joy than to go to those places and urban, suburban, rural, um, it, you know, if Jesus is calling you there, he's going to give you a heart for that place. And, uh, you know, the greatest gift I feel like he's given us in this season of our life is calling us to a place um, where our hearts are like really deeply entwined with these people in this place and keeping our connections with those churches too. So we didn't leave the city to go to a rural area. We were sent by our brothers and sisters and are, are being supported by our brothers and sisters uh, to plant in these places and their prayers are with us and their time is with us and all those things, you know? So I, I think it's I, I, Gave a shotgun blast there. So. Yeah, but it, you know it's interesting that um, you you know I think a lot of times I was talking to a pastor just earlier today and he was talking about the the pull to idolatry in wanting to be part of a large church the the kind of the the large church idolatry and what you're calling out is there there could be a small church small town idolatry too it's kind of almost like the hipster microbrew version of church. Like, I'm not going to drink the Budweiser, but I'm going to drink the hipster local beer and yeah. get my idolatry there, that both of them betray heart conditions. Oh, man, we are so messed up. Yeah, because you can have a martyr complex, you know, and then and then all that you're doing in your rural community is bad-mouthing people who are being faithful and serving Jesus in urban areas that Jesus has called them to. You know, it's like, gosh, come on, why don't we, uh, you know, I mean, it's that, it's a gospel-centered life, not just gospel-centered proclamation and sermons, you know, and for us. And I think that's part of what God did in our lives is he, he allowed us to love being a part of a of a large church in an urban environment, but to also see that like, if that is the end goal, that is a terrible end goal. And for, mm. thankfully the people who were there, my fellow elders of that church, I, that wasn't their end goal either. You know, the, our end goal is, is the great commission. The mission is Jesus abiding in him, John 15, you know? And so I think for, for the Lord to get us to that place of like, um, which, I mean, he, he had to hit me in the face a thousand times to 
get me to be able to, I think, be at a place to recognize like that was moving forward, moving to a, a rural area. You know, it's interesting. I say the Lord hits you in the face. My wife, uh, we often talk about the fact that every time uh, we have a big move to make, my wife knows it before I do. And then God has to use her to hit me in the face multiple times to <laughs> get me to that place. And I she, do does so, she does so willingly. <laughs> yes, yes, she does. She is a servant of the Lord in that way. Um, so, so, Patty, one thing we haven't talked about, but I do want to talk about is in the midst of all of this, you've dealt with some pretty significant chronic pain issues as well. Uh, how has that influenced or how has that um, been even, gosh, used by God as in this whole season of moving around, being in different places, ending up in, in the small town church plant? Talk a little bit about that as much as you feel comfortable. I don't want yeah, to kind of drag yeah. you into places you're not comfortable. Yeah, no, I, I think Tim and I were um, kind of your quintessential, like first generation coming to know the Lord in college. Every college student wants to like take the world on. But when you do it under the banner of Jesus, it's like you just want to do whatever and go wherever. And you feel kind of, you know, you feel like you can do anything. And so we both had this heart of, man, we just, we want everybody to know this, this Jesus that we didn't grow up with. And we both were privileged. We had so many similarities in our stories to be the first in our family to lead family members to the Lord, our parents to the Lord and watch their lives change drastically. And like, as families, like we worship now together, knowing like how far we all have come. And so you take that gift and you want to give that to the world. And so I think we probably were just ready to just take the world on for Jesus. But then, um, I mean, pretty, pretty immediately after we got married, I just really started struggling with a lot of chronic debilitating migraines that, um, after we had children, we had children pretty quickly, probably our second year of marriage, um, that, um, just that pain became just super debilitating from headaches to just kind of throughout my body and saw multiple doctors um, in the process of it. Those doctors would think that they would figure it out and there'd be like a season of maybe a couple of months where it seemed that that was working. And so we'd have another child in the middle of all of that. And, um, and then we had um, a couple of children and the pain just kept getting worse and it kind of became mysterious as to what was going on and why I was in so much pain. And, um, and yet like through that, the Lord was gracious and gave us pockets of relief through months at a time, maybe where it would seem a doctor was able to help for a little bit. But even like, like when we were in Portland, she got to a place where she couldn't walk, you know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, like it was, it, it wasn't, just like oh my arm hurts you know i mean it was really yeah. it, it was really it got to the point where um i started to realize on when you they have you take like pain assessments where they say can you concentrate can you eat food are you perpetually sweating before i never understood that until months went on and then years went through, kind of we as we went through it and got into oregon where we would be up throughout the night where i was just sweating through the night and couldn't sleep. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't eat. We had these babies to take care of. We didn't, we just didn't know what we were doing. And, um, and just desperate for doctors to give us an answer as to what was going on. 
And um, so in the end, actually, when we were in Portland, we got a diagnosis that I had um, lower leg syndrome, which for lots of people, it's a very debatable thing, whether um, just a foot lift can solve a problem. But um, we saw lots of different doctors that said that just even having some people with certain body structures, um, that alignment can cause horrific problems. And so we thought we solved the problem and actually went through lots of physical therapy, felt so much better, um, good enough that I think we ended our time in Portland just rejoicing, mm -hmm. thankful for the season that we were there and the relief that came. And you know, then we had our third child um, shortly after we kind of came through a recovery with my chronic pain. So I think us moving to Oklahoma was an, a season of new beginnings. We are just super excited. And then um, when we were there, I, there was about a two year window where I just felt like something wasn't right, but I thought it now it was all anxiety in my head. That now I'd created mm -hmm. fear of anything that, because I had been in pain so long, I just instantly thought if I felt anything, this was all kind of in my head. But it got to the point where I did go to pick up my two-year-old and um, all of my muscles in my upper body kind of seized and um, I couldn't use my upper body at all. And my heart at a sitting, like at a resting pace was acting like I was running a marathon. Wow. And it, and it was like, what's wrong? Like mm. I thought, I knew, I felt like something was wrong, but I was just gonna say it's all anxiety. And, um, and then that took us into another journey of probably two years um, of trying to figure out what was going on again. And um, saw, saw some doctors, uh, first doctor took those foot lifts, uh, took the lift away. And then my body, we now know that my body had built probably about, I would say five years, no, I wore those lifts for more than five years, probably about five or six years of muscle memory. I ran half marathons, was very, Tim and I have wow. always been super active people. So my body pretty much when they took those, took the lift away, went into shock. And then I lost all function. I couldn't drive a car. I couldn't walk. I couldn't write. Um, I couldn't do anything. And, and doctors, I was just this medical mystery. Doctors didn't know what to do with me. And so we just went from one doctor to another doctor to another doctor. Yeah. And it just was, it was horrible. Like we even got audited a couple of times by the IRS because they were like, we think you're lying by how much money you're spending on medical bills. Oh, <laughs> you know? wow. We just, we, just sent those, we just sent those receipts right in and I said, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, 2012 um, and 2013 were our darkest years yeah. with that for sure. Th those were our, those were our darkest years. And I would not be, I now know like the, the pain that I experienced after I've gone through counseling through that, was just my body was in fight or flight for a year and a half. And you just said, we're not made to live that way. And, yeah. um, and so thankfully though, through that, we figured out, you know, the, what they had done was given me a foot lift that was way, way too high, which only caused further problems. And, oh, I and, see. um, and it seems like such a minor thing. Like how could something so small, caused so many problems um but just it 
it just wrecked my body. And so then we just, I think a lot of our time in Oklahoma then was undoing what those doctors had done. And um, then with that came a lot of PTSD, a lot of anxiety, um, but just having to learn how to live in constant pain was just a really hard thing. And then being a believer and not wanting to to um, take medicines because my brain wasn't functioning correctly. There was a lot of, I always struggled with a lot of guilt having to take an anxiety medicine. And But the Lord was great. That was his story that there is nothing more. My mother-in-law um, was just, she's such a, she's just amazing. And she was in a season when my pain started where she drank Diet Coke. And when it became apparent that we couldn't figure out what was going on, she said she was going to fast with the Lord from Diet Coke. And um, that turned into... <laughs> which, which is a pretty big that, fast. That actually turned into Diet a 15-year fast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, and wow. so what's been really neat now, you know, she's my next door neighbor. We're so close. I love her so much. I'm indebted to her for the time she came to help us when the kids were little and I couldn't do anything. And, um, you know, we'll be sitting in small group together and, and she'll just say like, the Lord has answered our prayers. And the prayer is like how I can minister now to these people, because we live in a, um, a very, um, you pull up your bootstraps and self-sufficient self yeah. and all I bring to the table is brokenness of a God who can do anything, but I'm desperate for him. Even through, I still struggle with anxiety and I'm very open and I'm very honest with everybody about it. And it's just been amazing to see the story that God's been able to write through me being completely honest and I can't hide a day of anxiety if I'm struggling or if it's a day of chronic pain. I can't hide it. So it's been just beautiful to see that my, you know, my mother-in-law can say like God's answer our prayers because you're able to reach the woman here in a way that that's different because, you know, I have a desperation that I think a lot of people here, you just put your boots on and you go shovel your driveway and there's no one going to come and ply you out because you're so far in the country and you got to learn how to do that yourself. And so I think part of our story, I think God he uses, of course, he uses all things for his glory and our good. And part of my story was uh, he wanted to allow a broken person to be used in a very self-sufficient way that um, that points to how good he is and that you can't do it on your own. And so that's just, I think that's kind of the icing, icing on where we're at right now, where we've been able to see with my health that we've been landed in a very self-sufficient place and people need to know that they are desperate for Jesus. And, um, and if it takes just me having to be completely vulnerable, then that's, mm -hmm. that's worth it because then they become desperate for, yeah. for Jesus. So. You know, I wonder how much, you know, being, you know, I'm in Midwestern. I'm not quite as uh, small of a town as you guys are in. But I wonder if uh, some of that self-sufficiency, it gets embedded so deeply from the time you are a small child in kind of that Midwestern work ethic um, that it's hard 
to even have language Mm -hmm. for it because anything that challenges that self-sufficiency or that kind of gritty determination uh, smacks of a there's a foreignness to it and it's so it's almost like you 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 walk in you try to have a language and so it's almost like the life that you bring to the table and your experiences that you bring to the table brings language for people that I wonder if it'll become a, a beautiful gospel language in that community. Well, that's our prayer. I mean, that really is our prayer that people would see just how desperately in need we are, how absolutely sinful we are, but how gloriously good God is and, and how being dependent on him moment by moment is not a weakness, but it's a, it's one of the most beautiful powerful ways in which God can be glorified. And yeah. Yeah. A a passage that I feel like is just been moving to both of us. And to me is when Paul is telling Timothy of, uh, you know, the qualifications he really needs to step boldly into uh, to lead the church plant that he was leading, you know, and it's that passage where he says, like, don't don't let him look down upon you because you're young. Well, we're in our 40s now, so we don't feel that as much. But uh, but but in that, I feel like one of the culmination of the traits in that is he says, let them see your progress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was uh, it's like, don't let him see the finished product because it's probably not that good looking anyway. <laughs> but uh, but but lead in a way that you let them see your progress. Yeah. And, you know, I think that honestly, a lot of times um, we mistake um, general, I I, I, I want to say moral goodness, but I know that that's the wrong phrase, but I'm kind of like whatever your community considers to be moral goodness. So in the Midwest, it's work hard and be nice. We uh, conflate that mm-hmm. with sanctification. Yeah. Um, and then somebody, you know, is a generally morally good person, and maybe they come to Christ at 42 years old, and then immediately are made a deacon in their church because of what a good person they are, where the person who is broken and has the trajectory of sanctification in their life, but is still pretty jacked up, um, is looked down on as less mature, but that person might be the yeah. more mature person. Because everyone, you can see the progress and what God is doing through their pain, whether that be pain that's self-inflicted sin or others-inflicted sin or just general yeah. life pain. Good. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I am just so thankful for you guys and, and Patty, so thankful for you sharing and being honest. I, I, I look forward to seeing what God does uh, in in Collins and and uh, throughout Iowa with with you guys and your your faithfulness to the gospel uh, um, and just uh, I, there's so many other things I wish I had time to talk about. I just there's I wrote down about a dozen rabbit trails that I wish we could go on, but we just don't have the time to do that. So would you guys mind? I would love um, to have both of you pray for are anybody listening right now, especially people who may be in seasons of uh, either whether it's a long season of pain or a short season of pain or some sort of brokenness where they're struggling with whether or not um, 
um, this disqualifies them from ministry or this uh, is hindering them from um, the good life that they want to experience. Would you would you guys just close our time, uh, both of you, just spending a little bit of time praying for those folks? How about I'll pray first and then you yeah. can end it. Okay. Lord, I do just thank you for Noel and I thank you for this time that we can spend together. And Lord, I just thank you that you are so near to us, that you are um, interceding for us. I thank you that you're alive and well, that you're the Prince of Peace. And um, Lord, if, if anybody is looking in the mirror with maybe things that you're calling them to and just looking in the mirror thinking, there's no way, who am I, who am I kidding? Um, this is a joke. Um, Lord, I just ask that um, if, if that's in response to things that you're calling them to, Lord, um, first of all, you're just, you're gentle and lowly of heart. You're, you're so kind to us. Um, Lord, would you just take away any, anything that, that were to live to perform for you or any of that nonsense and garbage? Would you just rip that out of us? It's, it, it finds its way in us so easily. Would you rip it out of us? And um, and Lord, I just pray if it, if it feels like they've been living in a rainforest and it's just one storm after the next coming, Lord, I just pray for that shot of um, just a ray of sunshine across their horizon and that maybe they only get to see one ray of sunshine right now um, and it just closes up and goes back to a storm, but that they know that you're there, that, uh, that um, you are... You are not weakened, that you are there. And Lord, I just, I, I pray that you would encourage them, that they would really feel that you are a present help in times of need and, uh, and that they would just um, be renewed by you, abide in you, feel your power, feel your love and concern for them. And would they, would they just be renewed today, just walk with you today. Jesus, I just, um, I just ask that if there's anybody who, I know in my own life, there's been times where you just feel like you can't go on and you can't do it anymore. And um, I just ask that the promises that your mercies would be new every morning, that that person perhaps would just cling to that when they can't feel that, that, uh, all is not lost, all is not gone, but that you are a good God and that you are true to your word, that you triumph over whatever circumstance or emotion or um, whatever it is that might be causing a roadblock to uh, feel any of the goodness of, of the gospel. But Lord, that, that you are bigger and more powerful in that. And I think one of the anthems you've sung over me is that your mercies are new every morning and that what happens in one day does not determine the next, but that we have a God whose arms are wrapped around us and that holds on to us. Mm -hmm. And even when we can't hold on to him, he has us. And he is writing a story um, that is beyond anything that we could ever understand. And for some reason, he loves us and, and is able to take such brokenness and such, um, whether it be just 
even just ugly pride and ways of self-sufficiency or just such brokenness and feeling like you literally have nothing to offer and you're able to just take us and you are able to invite us into the story that you're writing that man it's all about you it's all about the beauty of who you are and uh, you invite us to be a part of that and there is no disqualification on a bad day and um and so lord i just ask for those that they would hold on to the fact that your mercies are new every morning and um the sun rises and the sun sets and and you are writing this beautiful beautiful story that we've been grafted and invited to be a part of and so i just want to thank you for that you would allow us to be a part of your story and you're allowed you would allow just our weaknesses and the things that we struggle through that for some of us become this tapestry through our whole lives of a greater story and i thank you for that jesus mm. so amen amen Thank you.